it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Prosper Insurance has an offer that's tough to beat and will benefit you one way or another. When you get a quote with Prosper Insurance, if they can't beat your home or auto quote, they will send you an official Washington football team legend jersey. Of course, if they do beat it, you'll be able to afford your own jersey or two. I can tell you from experience, the quote I received was $2,000 less than my previous insurer. It might not be like that for everyone, but why not find out? Finding the right insurance can be a pain, but Prosper makes it easy while providing great service and advice. Their licensed advisors shop the market with top companies like Allstate, Nationwide, Progressive, Travelers, and more to find you the perfect coverage at a great rate, which helps explain why Prosper has more than 1,000 five-star reviews on Google. You have nothing to lose. Simply visit prosper.insurance slash to get your quote and a possible Washington football team legend jersey. That's prosper.insurance slash K-E-I-M. This offer is good from September 13th to September 30th. You know what else is cool? They plant a tree for every policy they write. That's more than 66,000 trees and counting. Get ready to feel good about your insurance. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today I'm joined by Taylor Heineke's college coach, Bobby Wilder, who knows him as well as any coach. He recruited Heineke back in 2010 and they remain close today. I've talked to Bobby before for stories that ran on ESPN last winter, but after watching Heineke against the New York Giants lead a two-minute drive, I wanted to get more insight from someone who knows him so well. Wilder knows the Heineke story as well as anyone. He talks about conversations they had last spring about prepping for the post-football life and one call that gave Heineke a glimmer of hope. Wilder is no longer coaching at ODU, but you can follow him on Twitter at CoachWilder353. And of course, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up this week on the subpar play of the Washington defense. Look at the quarterbacks they have coming up. This can't continue. And now, here's my conversation with former ODU coach Bobby Wilder as we discuss the Taylor Heineke story. Well, Bobby, I'm guessing you're probably one of the few people who aren't surprised by what Taylor has done so far. Am I accurate in that? Yeah, not not surprised, just really proud and, and really excited for him. Um, for just what he's accomplished to this point, especially his story, you know, his backstory. Right. It's just been a uh, a series of setbacks throughout his time. I mean, I'm going back to 2015 uh, when he first got the opportunity uh, with the Vikings. So you're talking about really seven years he's been chasing this dream. And for him to finally get to this point i mean you talked about a level of of commitment and just um we always had a phrase in our 
in our program, turning setbacks into comebacks. And that's what he's done. He's just continued to have setbacks. And finally, uh, he's turned it into a just phenomenal comeback. I want to get into that story in a minute, but I am curious if you kind of get a kick out of the reaction to Washington fans to him. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. Um, what's really funny is that uh, because they played Thursday night, so that entire Friday news cycle uh, when it comes to the NFL was really about the comeback win and right. Taylor. I mean, it was just incredible to me. Uh, and my point is, if he had played Sunday at one o'clock and there's, you know, eight other games going on, yeah, it would have been kind of cool, but you'd also have seven other games um, that you would have would have seen or heard of. And he basically just dominated that news cycle. So it's, it's really interesting to see. Uh, I think one of the big things, John, is that he's garnering a lot of support right now because of the reaction from his teammates. And right. then your reaction from the fan base, the reaction from people like Michael Urban, who I, I kind of had to laugh at him because before the game, he's talking about Cam Newton after the game. He's talking about Taylor Heineke. <laughs> Why aren't they Cam Newton? This isn't going to work with Taylor Heineke. Then after the game, it was as if he never even said that before the game. All about Taylor Heineke. He's the leader of this team. He's a good player. So you're getting that type of a reaction, John, where within four hours, people are changing their opinions of, of Taylor Heineke. That seems to be a big part of the story, though, because – as an undersized guy and you look at him and I think I remember even reading stuff from you guys back in the day. It's like, he's not going, I think when you went to recruit him, they told you don't like, you know, don't, don't judge him by his size. In other words, like, but it seems like that's a part of the story that everybody's always going to. And listen, I think we're, I'm guilty of like, well, well, my question is, can he last the durability? But just from that standpoint, from your end, like, you know, how long did it take you to be convinced that this could play, this kid could play? And what was it that convinced you? Yeah, the, the funny part of that story, which you mentioned, it was actually my quarterback coach, Ron Whitcomb, who who uh, made the initial contact with Taylor and with his high school head coach, Kevin Reach, who's a fantastic coach, even better person. When we were on the plane flying from Norfolk to Atlanta, uh, Ron Whitcomb said to me, coach, he's, he's not going to wow you physically. You're not going to look at him and say, wow, that's a one college quarterback. So I was prepped going into the, the home visit with Taylor and his dad, Brett, uh, who was just an awesome person. I think a lot of people know Brett passed away when Taylor was a freshman at Old Dominion. So when I walked into the room, John, I was mentally prepared. Okay, he's he's not going to be of the stature that, you know, that 6'3", 225-pound chiseled athletic rock. He was six feet. He was 175 pounds. And so we were prepped for that. But what, what jumped out, John, what overshadowed the size part was the incredible accuracy, the competitive nature, uh, his dad's presentation. So I just got the vibe in that first home visit that he was going to be a leader. He was going to be well-spoken. Uh, he was going to be committed to doing whatever it would take to win football games. And that was the reason we pursued him as heavily as we did, even though he was only 170, 175 pounds. What was his dad's presentation? Uh, well, first of all, the brats were outstanding. I, you've told me that before, and, I, oh, and, I, and I'm a big brats uh, guy, so. Yeah, I'm yeah. A brat, you know, and then he had, 
you know, we had the peppers and onions just done properly. You know, everything was just perfect. I think I ate three brats that day. I might have impressed myself <laughs> on a bread. But, you know, he came across, John, as just, just a really wholesome person. Uh, and being a dad myself of two sons, I could tell the way he raised Taylor was to to be a good person, um, to be competitive, to be the best at whatever he would do, but to also include other people in the process. And you see that in the way Taylor comes across. It's not about Taylor Heineke. It's about the team. It's about collective um, greatness, the pursuit of collective greatness. That's the way he was, John, at Old Dominion. I mean, he basically put our program on his back and took us a whole different level from just a startup to uh, a team that won 10 games in a bowl game. So he, he took us on this incredible journey and he was always humble. He was always about leadership. He was always about the team and the accomplishments of the team. He never makes anything about himself. And when you watch his press conference Thursday night after the game, he gets asked the question, you know, is this your team now? Do you feel like you're the guy? And he answers it in a way that you can tell he wants to be QB one, but he also understands there's a lot more involved to this than just him. And that's, that's the presentation that came across John from that first home visit with, with Ed, Brett and with Taylor. And that's what you guys are seeing now in the way he leads. And you talk about the tough times from 2015, how often would you talk to him and would he, you know, and again, like, I don't want to jump the gun here and say like, oh, now he's this unbelievable quarterback. We don't know where he's going to go. We just know what he's done so far here in his 11 quarters here have been pretty good. That's what we go on. So I'm not putting him in Canton yet. I'm not putting him in the Pro Bowl. But to this point, he's been a really nice story in Washington and where it goes. I don't know, but it's going to be fun to watch. But I am curious from that 2015 point to when he signed here, how hard was it for him? And, you know, what kind of conversations would you have with him during that time? Uh, It was really hard. It was hard going back to when, you know, he had the off field injury while he was in Minnesota. And then, you know, he gets, he gets eventually gets cut. And then he's, you know, it's the Cowboys or I mean, it's the, uh, the Patriots and, you know, then it's, the Texans and he goes in the Texans game and it looks like he's doing okay. And then it's, you know, the concussion protocol and then he gets cut again. And, you know, it was just this constant up and down ebb and flow of, uh, you know, is this going to work? And I just kept reminding him that, you know, we talked about the setbacks and, you know, that attitude of every setback is just a comeback waiting to happen. And you're going to write the greatest comeback story ever Mm -hmm. written from a free agent quarterback to what you're going to do and and just try to stay focused on the process of, of winning and being successful. And it was really hard on him. And and we had a very serious conversation last spring about, okay, you know, maybe it's time. Let's at least get, get you enrolled in your classes. You've got six left. Let's get you in four this fall. You know, if something happens, you can, you can go, you can react to it. But um, when we had that talk last spring, COVID had just hit really hard. So there wasn't even certainty about, was there going to be an NFLC NBA basketball had just shut down. So it was like, Taylor, maybe, maybe you get enrolled in your classes. Let's see what happens. Not only with the NFL, but with COVID Um, you know, your, your, your online classes. So you can be back in Atlanta taking the classes. So that was the decision was made then. And then what really 
gave him hope was when Scott Turner contacted him last summer and said, Hey, look, right. I don't want to over. stay in shape, be ready. We may call you. So that glimmer of hope, when I talked to him about the classes in the spring that he was, he was down, but he was focused. He was thinking, okay, maybe this time I get my degree and just start my life away from football. And then when Scott called, um, you know, he texted me after that and said, Hey, here's what's going on. Um, and I just encouraged him. I said, Hey, keep doing your thing with your schoolwork, but you know, get yourself in great shape, make sure you're throwing, do all the things you need to do. And he's, he's got a really good trainer in Atlanta that he's been with since high school. So it was easy for him to do those things. But the biggest thing I just kept trying to encourage him to, you know, get yourself prepared. And, and when that opportunity comes, you, you now know, you know what you'll need to do. And I think the fact that it was with Scott Turner, Ron Rivera, it was a system he'd known since 2015 really made the difference. Well, you know, and, and the longer I've done this, the more you realize how important it is to get to the right system, the right fit with the right coaches around you to no make it work right. for a lot of players and, and, you know, especially a quarterback. The, one of the reasons I also want to talk to you, too, is because of what he did the other night, those comeback, the two drives late. Now, I know he had the interception, but he also had a two, you know, dime, you know, dimes in the bucket throws on the one drive, right. and then he leads the game winning drive. That was commonplace at ODU. What is it about him, do you think, that helps him in those situations? Well, he's he does something. I've always tried to teach quarterbacks, because I played quarterback, I've coached it my whole life, that when you get into those moments, the number one attribute you need to have is poise. Mm. You have to stay poised in those situations and just focus on the process of the situation and what's going on. And um, you, you can talk about that. All coaches talk about it, but you have to practice it. And we would practice that all the time at Old Dominion. I would take him, we'd be in the middle of practice and I'd blow my whistle and everybody'd come running from everywhere. And I'd call out sudden change, meaning there was a turnover and everybody's got to come off the bench. And now here's the situation. There's a minute left. You're on the minus 25 yard line. You've got two timeouts. You need a field goal. Let's go. And then have the kids practice that so Taylor would have to be on the field hear me say the situation without you know there was no clock to look at there was no scoreboard he just have to hear it and then take command of those 10 guys you know the, the offense would be on one sideline defense on the other in place so my point is we did that over and over and over again he's been in those situations so many times so he feels comfortable the other thing I would always tell him is the defense is going to be in panic mode so if you just keep your poise and composure somebody on the other side of the ball is going to make a mistake mm. at some point and if you're poised you'll see it you'll react to it and you'll be successful so you notice this I'm sure your listeners notice this and I'm sure this is why you're asking me the question he's just really poised so Very. he's comfortable he's comfortable in those situations and that's why he's always had success at Old Dominion you saw it last year at the end of the Panthers game you saw it in the in Bay game where he brought the team back so um, those are situations he's comfortable in now he's not always going to be successful it's not always going to be like it was the other night but you're seeing the guys have faith in him now it's not just McLaurin and the other offensive players it's now the defensive guys talking about what he does late in games those guys are all up off the bench now and they think right. they're going to win A wild week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, 
DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any Week 3 game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KIME, that's K-E-I-M, to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And the Panthers game, too, was eye-opening for me because you have to have a lot of poise. You're in the college classroom, and three weeks later, you're out there, to be honest, looking better than the guy who started the game and looking like you know where to go and all that. That comes from poise. When he started doing that at ODU, was he like that right away, or was he kind of bumpy right early on and had to kind of ease into that, or was you know was he comfortable right away? Yeah, it, it was amazing, John. It happened right away. 2011, we're playing our – I think our fourth game and we're playing a nationally ranked team at home and our starting quarterback got hurt and he came right off the bench and he was thrust right into one of those situations, close game, needed him to make plays. And that's what you don't know until you see it in college. I'd seen it in high school, but then it happened. So he did it all the time like that in college where he was just really poised. Now it took, our other players a little while to evaluate him in those situations and think, okay, we can win late in the game and we're behind with Taylor because of his presentation. And then obviously it takes a little time in the NFL. Now he's had, he's had three of them. (laughs) I mean, he's had three of them right away in his first four games where it's come down to though, actually all four games, even the San Diego game. I mean, you know, if, if Washington doesn't fumble on their own three, and they win that game with him leading them back. So all four of his games have been like that. So I'm I'm not surprised you're seeing the players react the way they are. You know, it'll be it'll be curious to see how they react when he doesn't win in one of those games, or you know, he throws an interception and they lose the game, or something like that happens. But so far, all they've seen is success from him late in football games. But it's funny because he did throw that interception and you did think that maybe that cost him and he got a second chance and recovered. So I think that always goes well. The one big question though, is the durability. Again, I bring up durability because I think sure. from, even from their end, I think that is probably the single biggest, I know it's the single biggest question. From your end, is that is that a question that you have too? Because he is a small guy and he does play a more aggressive style at times. Although I say that, and I thought he did a great job staying in the pocket the other night. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it took him a while in college to get used to the speed of the game, the change from high school to division one football. And, you know, he got banged up a little bit his freshman year, sophomore year. And then he really, he figured it out when to run and how to protect himself. You know, I, I tell people all the time, he averaged between three and 500 yards rushing in college and between five and 10 rushing touchdowns each year without us having a running play in the playbook for him that was just him reacting when do I take off when do I go we we tried to teach him like I try to teach all my quarterbacks hash number sideline you know when you're running if you're if you're in the middle of the field get to the hash if you can't get to the numbers of the sideline get down so 
you're basically trying to get to the sideline and get down. And it took him a while to learn that, that hash number sideline concept and how to protect himself. And it's going to take him a little bit to learn it in the NFL. And um, I, I thought the biggest change in this game was, I think he had four carries for six yards. He was, he was trying to stay in the pocket, even when he moved out of the pocket he was to throw the ball. So he was trying to avoid those hits and it's just going to take him a little bit of time to get used to that. Seeing a quarterback's head, John, you're thinking, okay, I got 12, 14 possessions in this game. I'm going to need to score four or five times. I'm going to need to get to 28, 30 points to have a shot to win an NFL game. So he's trying to score on every possession right now, and it'll take him a little bit to understand I don't have to score on every possession. Right. I can pocket on third down, and I can throw it away out of bounds, and I can allow for the punt team to come out, and I can allow for the defense. He did that a couple times the other night, and that was a big step in his maturation to understand I, I can't take the hit at the NFL level and survive. I've got to be willing to throw the ball out of bounds. So he'll, he'll start to learn that 12 to 14 possession. He'll start to learn I only need to score on four, five, six of them for us to win, and he'll get better at that. And I think the touchdown pass to Ricky Seals-Jones is an example of that because it was his third option on the play, but also he had a chance to run there too. And he he, did. His, his decision was, I'm giving my guy a chance, and if it's incomplete, you play another down. But he, right. I think if in a, in a less mature situation, you know, if he's less mature in that area, I think he may maybe he runs. Yep, I, I think you're exactly right in that analogy. And he put the ball in a place where only – the tight end could go up and get it. So it was either going to be a touchdown or it was going to be an incomplete pass play. But but your observation is exactly right. That that split-second decision he made to not run the football and not put himself in a position to get hit, it was a big step in his growth and understanding. I've got a I've got a six five guy who can who can jump to the height of a basketball hoop to ten feet, so I can make this throw at, at nine and a half feet. It's either him or nobody, and that that was a huge step for him. Um, he threw the same kind of ball last week against San Diego to Logan Thomas yep. for the touch. You know, using his guy's height again in, in a matchup against a safety that's you know six feet tall. When I've got a six five guy, so making that throw instead of running the ball was, was a big step for him. And he's got to continue to grow on those kind of steps. Um, I want to go back to his dad because I know, and I've talked to you in the past last year about his relationship with his dad and how tight they were. For, can you explain to people just what you saw in that relationship? And I think it was, when did he, was it, I think he died. It was like around 2012, 2013. Is that when it was? Uh, it was, it was 2011. I fir okay. first, in 2010 December of 2010 okay. was home visit I was describing before and then got to know Brett started to build that relationship 2011 uh, June of 2011 Taylor reported to Old Dominion for summer school and training and then had a great preseason we were going to redshirt him so I had talked to Brett about hey look I we need your son to develop physically. We want him to grow. We've got a starting quarterback who's a veteran player. So we were going to try to redshirt Taylor in 2011. Now, Brett was still coming to the games because they were best friends. I mean, Taylor and Brett had a really unique father-son relationship. It, it wasn't as if it was just father-son. When they were together, 
Um, and Brett would always come to our office when we'd have a home game, he'd come in and visit and say hello. And uh, we'd always look forward to the Sundays where he'd bring in the extra, extra from the tailgate and feed the staff, uh, which was awesome. But, you know, their relationship was almost like more of a friendship. And then when we got to that fifth game in 2011 uh, and Taylor played, you know, Brett was, was behind us. He understood our starter had an ankle injury and we weren't sure if it was going to be two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, but we needed Taylor to play. And he went in and played And that season, John, he had 26 touchdowns and only one interception. And the interception came on a hail Mary pass. Mm -hmm. I mean, incredible as an 18 year old freshman. And Brett was there for every game. Uh, the last time I saw Brett was in our second round playoff game that we lost at Georgia Southern. You know, remember they were in Atlanta, so they had a huge oh, amount yeah. of, friends, um, you know, coach, the coach, Kevin Reach, his high school coach um, was there. So there was probably 50 people there for him that game. And that's the last time I saw Brett. He, uh, he passed away about a week later at home of a massive heart attack. Taylor was actually, had spoke with him that night. It was on his way home the next day. Taylor was going back home for the Christmas holiday. And then that's when, that's when Brett past was that at the end of Taylor's freshman season so I I always think in a positive light that he got to see Taylor play that year he got to be there for all his games Brett flew in for every game didn't matter where we were playing and then was at that playoff game with all their extended family and friends and and Taylor's mom and and sister and you know, so it was just really good that Brett was there. And that's the last time I spoke with Brett was at that Georgia Southern playoff game. How often do you think that Taylor still, you know, especially with the success he's having now, yeah. do you, do you, when you talk to him, does he bring his dad up still with that? Like, I, I've got to imagine, like, if it's me, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of him all the time. And I would imagine that's how it would be for Taylor too. Oh yeah. I've still got, uh, where is it? I've got this bracelet. Um, right here hmm. uh brett russell heineke bracelet odu football we had these made and uh you know i still keep that with me taylor's still got his i don't i don't know if he wears it during the game but um you know we we had those bracelets made and um you know he we still talk about his dad his dad's still a heavy influence on him taylor thinks about him a lot and you know i remind him um how proud his dad would be of him for really just his incredible stick to itiveness. You know, the fact that he right. has just hung in there. I mean, how many people in life over a seven year period get setback after setback after setback. And I'm not just talking about getting cut from teams. I'm talking about injuries. I'm talking right. about getting hurt and, and hang in there. And then, you know, he goes to the XFL and he, and he's not even a starter. He's a backup. Right. And hangs in there and just, he believes in himself. He's, he's passionate about this. And, you know, I'm not talking to you right now, your listeners, like he's a star quarterback. He's not, right. he's a solid football player right, right now. Who's trying, trying so hard to take this situation and run with it. Our conversation before this season was, Coach, I'm, I'm just incredibly locked in on this. I'm going to do everything I can to make this work. I know this is probably my last opportunity, so I've got to make it work. And he went and physically just built his body up. He looks the best I've ever seen him look. 
He put the weight on. He trained his tail off. He was dedicated, disciplined to everything he had to do. And he's trying to take advantage of this, what he really believes in his mind is his last opportunity. So um, I think he's going to make it work. But let's not let's not confuse the issue here. He's not Tom Brady. Right. Brady, but he's pretty darn good. And if the guys around him can continue to grow with him and continue to play well with him, I, I think he could have a really good year. Yeah. And, and that's why I say, like, I don't want people to jump to the conclusion that we think, you know, we're not putting him in the hall of fame, but he's in his 11 quarters here, he's done well. And so mm-hmm. then like, I was even talking to him the other night, well, what, what is it, you know, cause there's such mystery that you don't see stories like this very often. No, and you don't. I, and I think people have really gravitated to the underdog nature of him and the scrap. I hate to say this like it's a cliche, but there's like a scrappy everyday, every man quality to him because mm-hmm. he's not a big guy. He's not, he doesn't have this six, three, you know, strapping frame and, you know, his story resonates with people. I think in, right. because of that background. You're 100% accurate with that. It's, it's that, I, I think the underdog analogy is accurate he is he's the ultimate underdog I mean we're talking about there's only 32 of these jobs in the world being a starting NFL quarterback I mean that is such rarefied area when you quantify it there's 7.7 billion people on the world there's only 32 of these <laughs> yeah. jobs. we look at these 32 jobs we think we think Tom Brady we think Russell Wilson we think Aaron Rodgers we think the the current starting quarterbacks in the NFL that are, I just mentioned three hall of famers and, and that's what we think about. And then we think about Josh Allen, you know, the six, five, 240 pound rocket arm guy, like, okay, that's the next generation of quarterback. You don't look and say, okay, there's a picture of Taylor Heineke. That's a starting NFL quarterback. Nobody does that. But then when you peel away the layers, John, you see the innate qualities, you right. see the, the passion, you see the drive, you see somebody that's, it's like somebody who's just hanging on with their fingernails. He's just been hanging on for seven years, trying to get that opportunity. And then you go, okay, I'm going to rally behind that guy. You know, I'm going to root for that guy because that guy's not what he's not, what gets spit out of a computer. That that guy's me. That guy's, you know, that guy's the average human being who just caught on to something and got in the right situation and Ron Rivera and Scott Turner said okay you know he's really smart he's math he's analytical he's an engineer let's keep him around because whenever we put him in the game he seems to do really well and then you know unfortunately what the Fitzpatrick presents this opportunity for Taylor so he's really easy to root for because he's a lot more like you and me than all the other guys I just mentioned. Absolutely. Bobby, that's fantastic. I appreciate your insight. And like I said, this has been a fun story to write about because he's kind of coming out of nowhere and you really don't know where he's going to go. And I think people can all make their own judgments, but we really don't know. And that's what's fun about it. So I appreciate your time and the insight. Oh, it was, it was great to be with you. And let's just keep hoping that uh, we can have fun with this story all year long. That would be pretty special. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Bobby. You got it, Joe. Have a great day. You too. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Bobby Wilder for joining me. And thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Wednesday. Talk to you next time.